July 14, 2021. It's what for Pedro Show.
show happy wednesday pulled it out at the bottom of the ninth thought it was going to be a no-go but it's the geo <laughs> start off the show with john coltrane thelonious monk doing monk's mood Ooh, nice. and then lord tang eight nine and you could probably hear a voice people you can probably tell i'm not man alone because of those software engineers in estonia with their scap invention i got uh mr lord tang himself dominic cramp welcome board dominic Thank you very much, Mr. Absolutely. Watt. I appreciate that. And we got to give credit to the Brutal Street, uh, no, Brutal Sound Effects crew. Sorry Brutal Sound that. Effects, yeah. <laughs> right. And where are you talking to me from? I'm an, up in Oakland, California. Oaktown, okay. You know who lives there, Ted? Uh, Brother Ted from Flipper. Oh, yeah, I do not know him. Well, there's <laughs> a lot of cats, but he, he's one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got to do a tour with him a couple summers ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, David Yao was a singer. man. But l- let's get into your journey through music because I find it most interesting. Can okay. Please bring us the earliest musical recollection that you have. Um, 
Well, I kind of I, I thought this question might be coming, so I gave it some thought. All right. And um, really, what kind of set me off in terms of where I think I I landed with my passions is my dad. Now, I can't remember if he also gave me ACDC. I kind of think he didn't. But when I was like 12 or 13, he gave me uh, Jimmy Smith. Ah, um, organ trio. Yeah, organ grinder swing was the record. Yeah, he did the bass with uh, his feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Jimmy, and so I had that cassette at the same time that I had ACDC back in black. Wow, and both are good. the energy of those two things together to me, we're kind of the same, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> and I would just, I literally would go crazy. You know, I would like destroy my room. I would just put those on and go completely nuts. So I think what to me was driving was the energy of both those things. And I think that's something I've really was sort of a guiding point. And then at the same time, I also had a friend who, you know, you either have a friend or a big brother, but I had a friend who got me into Sonic Youth and uh, really early Mud Honey when that first started and uh, kind of put me on a trajectory away from kind of more of the new wave stuff that I was kind of into at the time. So Now, your pop, it sounds like he listened to a wide range of music. Yeah, I mean, he's mostly into jazz, you know, but I think what he used to do a lot was <laughs> he played a lot in the car. I mean, he does play guitar, but he would play counter rhythms a lot of the time or whatever we were listening to. And I think I just picked that up for when I was a kid and he would sing harmonies and stuff. He's just a very natural musical guy. And uh, I think that just stuck in my head. So there was um, a guitar in the pad. Did you jump on that guitar? No, I never did. <laughs> okay. But, what, what about the first record you bought with your own money? Oh, man. The first record, honestly, Howard Jones. Oh, wow. um, that was my okay. first record. And uh, I don't know if you know him, but, yeah, yeah. you know, doesn't really stand up to me over time, honestly. But <laughs> um, at the time, he was kind of my guy because I just from the minute I saw I think it was I saw him. It was just him alone with a bunch of synths, you know, and I was, I don't know, 13, 12. <laughs> and uh, I just there was something about that that really captured me. And uh, the yeah, first, and the first all synth band I saw was this guy named Gary Wright. Yeah. He was opening for Slade and 10 years after. He, oh, had, okay. he had three other guys on synthesizer. It was an old synthesizer. Man. What was Gary the first gig Wright. you saw, Dom? First ever gig was uh, with, with my dad, which was Spyro Gyro. Whoa, little Fuse. <laughs> yeah, which is Fuse, yeah. <laughs> so, and then, but the first one I saw on my own was uh, Phil Collins. Because okay. I grew up with uh, Julian Coriel, who was my best friend at the time. It was Larry Coriel's kid. Oh, wow, um, the guitar man. Yeah. He, he, yeah, got, yeah, yeah, he yeah. got attacked in his pad with a knife, right? I don't know anything about yeah. that. <laughs> he recovered like the guy, uh, the, it was a whole invasion or something that slit the throat, but he lived. Holy shit. I mean, that guy's I on that. a, I think he's on a Steely Dan album. He might be, yeah. I mean, he's one of the greats, you know, one of the legends. Yeah, and, really uh, good guitar, man. Anyway, so Julian had to hook up with a lot of cool concerts. And, you know, I was like, at that time, 10 maybe. We went to see Phil Collins and that, like, well, really floored me. Let's talk about that time, like like uh, school. Were you in the choir, the marching band or shit like that? No, but honestly, when I was, uh, I bounced around a lot as a kid. Um, and I we lived, I'm actually originally British. And uh, we, I had a, you know, in England, you got to kind of decide what track you're going to be on pretty early, like when you're 13, 14, at least the time. And that's kind of the track you're on forever. And uh, so we lived there at that time. I was probably about 13. 
And this all kind of happened at the same time when I was telling you about getting these cassettes and meeting this dude. And then I had this really crazy composition teacher um, that was really kind of out, you know, and he was really in a John Cage Whoa. and uh, like a lot of atonal stuff and then just really an improvisation. And I did something that was, you know, now kind of corny. But at the time, I was like I said, I was like 13. Um, I made a piece out of just whatever was around the house, you know, like a doorbell and a toilet flushing. And the, I didn't know anything about music concrete or tape music or anything like that. I just thought it'd be kind of a cool idea. And he was really into that, really supportive. So and, you, were, uh, you, you were using a you know, tape recorder as an instrument. Yeah, kind of. And then, you know, at the same time, my dad got me this old radio and uh, that had shortwave on it. But it was a really shitty radio, so I couldn't really get any shortwave on it or any stations, but I could get the sound. So I got really into the, I don't know, there's just something about the sound of the shortwave. Yeah, just I those know. like tones and the sine waves. And so if you mix all that together, <laughs> that's kind of where my formative things were happening, I think. Well, you are aware of Derek Bailey? Oh, of course. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Because you, you said something about improv and, you know, uh, so, so, so you're saying that in, in school there that you had to pick. So what did you pick? Um, I picked music and uh, English literature. Okay. But then, but then I was only there for a year, and we moved back here to the states to California. Okay. And uh, but but I already kind of got that in my head that you know I would want to go on that trajectory. What about the thing you know? Not after school, I like graduate, but in the afternoon. The garage band, basement band, bedroom band. Oh, yeah. You did My that? First, yeah, we, I had a band in high school called Amygdala, <laughs> which was, uh, yeah, we were basically, you know, we took a lot of cue from, uh, like, Negative Land. Oh. They were, like, a big inspiration for us. And sure. honestly, Gruck, well, I can't say, yeah, like, Carolina. And, oh, yeah, Rainbow, uh, Rainbow Carolina. Yeah, just making, like, just stuff to be annoying you know just for the sake of because we all lived in the suburbs at that time and it was kind of like you either freak out or you just have a fairly normal existence and so yeah. we just freaked out all the time hate that n-word yeah yeah it was like a real sober freak out and uh yeah we weren't all that good but you know <laughs> we uh yeah but how did you know just... about how did you know about negative land in carolina mostly because of my friend matt uh -huh. um he was an older dude again, and he knew about Carolina. And, like, at the time, what was really funny was I didn't understand it at all. Like, he had this record, you know, and it was – this was, like, 1989. And he had this vinyl with, like, pubic hair and, like, gravel and dirt in it. And I was like, why would you want to put that in a vinyl? I don't understand and then later I kind of figured it out. But yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, I was like, why the fuck would you do that? And uh, so he got me into a, into a lot of that stuff. And then he went on to do this crazy thing called Extreme Elvis in the early 2000s. Well, I'm, I'm, curious, I'm curious about this band. Uh, what was yeah. the name again? Amygdala. Uh, Amygdala. Um, no, Amygdala, like the amygdala. It's the part of the brain where yeah, emotions amygdala. are stored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, it's by the where the spine meets... Uh... Yeah, I think it's technically amygdala, but eh, whatever. We call it amygdala. <laughs> okay, okay. What was the makeup of this band? Uh, I was playing keys, and then we had a okay. bass player. Okay, uh, tell me I, how you got on the keys, because you didn't mention that. Well, that's kind of, I guess when I started, sorry, this is all over the place, but when I was in, uh, in England, that's just 
I guess in hearing Jimmy Smith, I got really drawn oh, okay, to okay. like electronics and the keyboards, you know. Okay. okay. Um, so this band had and, a bass, a drum, a keyboard. Yeah, and a singer. Okay, four um, piece. And then I would play keys like jumping up and down on an exercise trampoline, and uh, <laughs> it was just you know like a lot of really. I, I saw uh, shit. a shared get, uh, stage with Ramstein, and they had a guy working the keyboards, but on a treadmill. Oh yeah, similar to that, right? Like Guar, you know, Guar was a big influence. Yeah, and, like, Richmond. Uh, yeah, I, 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 just... I, you gave me this uh, nice and easy. I remember, there was a Strangler okay. song called that, but no, that was nice and sleazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
That chunk of music started with Lord Tang doing nice and easy. Parallel system, system 24 from the Rambutan, Proge, upstate New York, Hudson Valley, uh, Rianne Thompson, Anna LaCordis, Donna Savoy Jr., Brian Lucas, Phil Todd, Claire Hardiman, and Eric Hardiman. Eric Hardiman is the big ringleader of that project. Bob Bucko after that with uh, typewritten communique. Then Cine Chamber Clip 2 for Gray Area Theater in San Francisco from Victoria Shen. Bombas Prendon, the day started out nice. Uh, Schneller Toller Meyer after that with Backyard Lipstick. Al Margolis with Saxy Voice Whispers. And finally, Lord Tang with Clip Clop. Okay, so how long does this band last, this high school band? Uh, we were together, well, we were together a couple of years, a few years. We can, put, you re- can you remember the first gig? Uh, I don't remember the first gig. It's all kind of a mash, but I do Sorry. remember like recording, because we were recording to ADAT, which at the time I thought was like the future of everything. Sure. This little like ADAT studio down in Palo Alto. Okay. And, um, By Stanford. You know, they... Yeah, they just had a quadroverb, like, multi-effect unit and an ADAT. It was real. But, uh, yeah, there were a lot of punk bands that record down there, like um, Seven. You know that band? Yeah. Or, it's, sorry, L7. Not L7. Seven. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and it was the, the, the all-lady one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there was, an uh, L7, so, there was an L7 in Ann Arbor, too, that turned into the Laughing Hyenas. Okay. Yeah, that yeah, was actually remember. before them. No one know. Larissa... We lost her, but the, the guitar oh. lady from both bands. And there used to be a Berkeley Square down there. Or, yeah, or, yeah, I used to go to Berkeley Square. Okay, okay. Uh, but, but it wasn't Berkeley because it's a Palo Alto shit. Yeah, no, it was Keystone. I think it was called Keystone. or the Yeah. The one in the city was the Stone and then Berkeley. They were kind of connected. And that one, Minutemen got to play with James Blood Almer. Oh, my God. Yeah, and he used our equipment. He didn't even change shit. He just, they just plugged in and. Calvin Houston was on drums, and I mean, uh, damn, that's a gig. Uh, I mean, uh, Ali was on the bass, who's uh, yeah. stopped since then. So, uh, if you can't remember the gig, you remember the first recording. Yeah. And what was that? I just like? remember being being in the studio. Yeah. I, it was just sort of a magical process. I just loved like all like being in the dark, the smell, the yeah. like focus of it, the and just creating. You know, something out of nothing. It okay, was just, okay. That, well, it's a real magical. That's a good, uh, that's a good point. Uh, the material, was it all original? Yeah, except for, <laughs> this is really funny, right? We did this one cover of uh, The Waitresses. Oh, wow. Um, I know what boys like? Yeah. <laughs> Chris Butler's been on the show, the guy who wrote that uh, that song. He lives in Akron, Ohio. Oh, really? And I think yeah, they so have, we... I wouldn't shoot you. Billy Fika, the television drummer, thinks on that. Okay, but none of us could play it. We just really wanted to do it. And so that, but our singer was really good. So he sang on it, and then a couple of our buddies, actually our drummer played on it, on the singer. But the guitar player and the bass player couldn't play it. Okay. So we had a friend of ours do it, and, you know, just put it up. But that's the song. We got that song on Live 105 when it was still there. Oh, wow. And it, wasn't, it never really took off, but it was the only thing that, you know, kind of bubbled above ground that we did. Well, but we couldn't play it, so we never played it at gigs. It just sits there on the seven inch. <laughs> so, ah, so you did press it up. That's great. 
So yeah, yeah. What, what do you do musically after this? I mean, let me ask you this. After high school, yeah. do you go to higher education music? Yeah, I went to Santa Cruz. Well, actually, I went to community college, then I went to UC Santa Cruz. Right, with, the, um, with all but, the different colleges. Yeah, but Santa Cruz, is that's when I really started getting into electronic music. Okay, um, okay. Because so you're, you're, I... You're, well, say, you're saying it was an asset, it helped you. <laughs> Maybe? It didn't hurt. Okay, okay. But I, I really wanted to go to a school, because I'd already started through the band getting into kind of like early... I mean, I couldn't, well, I wish I'd known more about analog synths at the time because they were really cheap. I just didn't really know about that. Uh, but I really started getting into keyboards. And so I wanted to do, like, learn more about electronic music. So I was looking for a college that had, like, a some kind of program with a focus on electronic music. And Santa Cruz had that. And it was pretty close, you know. And um, so I went down there and studied. I never really got to study, like, advanced kind of stuff, but I did the history and then got into the basic classes for composing. And we did a lot of like working on tape and, but we got the, for the history class was with Gordon Muma, who I don't know if you know him, but he was like really one of the legendary guys uh, built instruments for John Cage. Sure. Sure. I've uh, read about him. Yeah. He's a really interesting dude. So, uh, but the cool thing was like back then, electronic music wasn't quite as hip as it is now. So I was one of the few people in there that actually wanted to study electronic music. Most people just want to record their band. So a lot of people just didn't use the studio. So I was just in there all the time just messing around with the, they had a modular synth and a bunch of tape recorders and yeah, just made a lot of experiments. And So it was a buttload yeah. of resource. Yeah. Under, yeah. Like just lay, lay in there to be used. So right. that's that's really kind of when I got the bug to get deeper into music. And now, um, uh, parallel to yeah. that, were you st- trying to be in a band still, or this was just man alone research? No, I was jamming with a lot of people. I had like one analog synth that I, I bought off this dude for a couple hundred bucks, and I had a delay pedal. So I was kind of the trippy dude with the keyboard. So I would play, sit in with a lot of hippie jam bands and. I didn't really care, honestly. I played with all kinds of people, but that was playing like out sounds with rock bands seemed to be a lot of what I ended up doing, just jamming around. Uh, um, like Catalyst? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and then um, and then at the time was the beginning of kind of like house music and sort of modern electronic music and raves were happening. And, yeah, um, was it Steve, uh, the, the son of the Benny Hanna guy, right? Uh, that, Steve Aoki? Yeah. That was later on. This is still like okay. the early 90s. Okay. So it was still like a pretty underground thing, like the um, just at warehouses in the backs of houses in the woods at the beach. Uh, but I had a friend who was had managed to put out some music and was hooked up with the label. And we ended up doing this ambient record um, in like 1995. And that was really the first thing that I got put out. Uh, was collaborating with him with this record label called Silent Records. And what, did you have a um, name for this project? What's that? Did you have a name for this project? I called myself Arthur Dent after the character from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Douglas Adams. Uh, yeah, Douglas and I done. Like, you know, he died on a, he died on a treadmill. So watch out when you're working out. <laughs> I didn't know that. Are you, <laughs> That's why I, I wanted you on the show, Dom, so I could fucking enlighten you to that. Well, you certainly have. I would have thought he died in the bathtub, but... No, he was like working out on a treadmill. 
He's a big man. He was like six foot five or some shit. Yeah, I did read that. Like a really big dude. Yeah, but it's a funny yeah, book. I love those books. It, yeah, I guess yeah, the, man, the answer I, is 42? The answer is always 42, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so those, but those books had, you know, I've always been a big nerd. And those books had a huge impact on me. Um, yeah, in the bathroom. Just in the bathroom. Yeah, the, <laughs> the the humor of them, you know, and they're just so out there. Yeah, well, it's really, an extension really of that me. Monty Python non sequitur thing, huh? Totally. Yeah, totally. I like it. I like it too. Uh, and and you think it informs your music? Oh, big time! Yeah, at least with the. I wish people the, would I, remember that, especially with the movement, man. There was nothing, no bigger component than humor. Yeah, I. You know, I do stuff under my own name that tends to, I don't know why, it tends to not have as much humor with it. But the other things I do, I've always tried to incorporate humor. Just, I don't know why, it's just, it's just there. It just makes me laugh. And there's a, at least with Lord Tang as well, I've been trying to, it's kind of drifted in a darker direction. But at least initially, I was conceptually trying to make it my quote unquote pop music which to me just meant more color and trying to integrate more music within the kind of abstraction. and That makes sense. Yeah. We're going to get into Lord Tang, but we're at the end of the first hour, yeah. July 14th, yeah, 2021 yeah, edition of Wap Pedro Show. Special guest, Dominic Cramp. Hold tight for hour two. July 14th, 2021. It's the second hour of the Wap Pedro Show.
lot for Pedro Show. Start off the second hour. Lord Tang and Butterflies. Then Luca Sabella with Ferrari. And then Lord Tang as if in reply, people. Square wheels only get you so far, Mr. Ferrari. Well, Mr. Ferrari, I added. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay, after Santa Cruz and this ambient yeah. record, and, and now you're out of school. Yep. What's next music for you, Dom? Um, then I was just trying to do stuff on my own. I got, you know, it's funny. I, <laughs> I'll submit, this was back still when you could kind of submit demos on cassette. Um, I was sending demos to a lot of people. Um, and I had come up with this name called Quilfus, which was just a made up name. I don't know where it came from. It just popped into my head. Um, and so I was just writing, I actually, you know, it's really funny. I was using a, oh, what beat was it? It was one of the Minutemen beats. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I just remembered that. It was George like one Hurley of my really was, early tracks. George Hurley um, was definitely a man with the beat in his hand. God, you guys had some savage beats. Just, like, I don't mean savage necessarily as heavy, but just such a no, swing. No, it was a trip. And, like, he taught himself drums by getting a copy of the Who's Happy Jack and St uh, Billy Cobham Spectrum. Uh, so it's this yeah, weird makes, mix, that, and he got a set of headphones sense, and just beat the shit out of it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. <laughs> so, so okay, so you're making demos, sending around, what, like to labels? Yeah, and nobody was really interested. Um, Thrill Jockey actually got back to me once and said, like, Hey, that's kind of interesting. Do you have anything else? And I took that to mean, oh, that sucks. When they really meant, do you have anything else? And I just misread it. But was I don't it, know though. But was it Patina? Was it Patina? Oh, I don't know. But I don't honestly. Okay, I don't a think lady, it, a lady I, runs that label, and she's pretty open-minded. Well, I just don't think at the time what I was doing would have really appealed. I'll get to that. But like, I never really. I was just really chasing down at the time labels just to try and but without really thinking about kind of what i was about really you know what i mean like and because well i'm kind of jumping the gun but you know i've i've never had until i started putting stuff out on my own with my own label uh that i wrote with a friend of mine but i just i my stuff is so particular it's it's difficult to get labels to kind of well, what about what about it. the other route, performance? The performance that started with uh, I was doing a project before Lord Tang called Borful Tang, which was another solo thing, um, and that was much more of a noise kind of based, abstract, punishing sort of project. But that had a, like a a really big backstory. It was like a really conceptual, much more of like an art project. Well, I would consider music kind of art. Well, I don't mean, yeah, I should say art, like in terms of involving, uh, I should say multidisciplinary. Oh, it's, okay. So there was some yeah, visual I, components and. Yeah. And like, uh, <laughs> it's a long story, man. And, uh, cause basically he was a being from another dimension. Of course. That has been, uh, <laughs> like basic left on earth and, his way of trying to communicate was to look at all the various forms of music and synthesize them into something that made sense to him. 
And then that's what he was projecting out at the audience. But then I had this, he was real angry because no one would understand him. So I would never speak. I would just yell a lot. It was real guttural <laughs> and just kind of angry. <laughs> what, would you would you describe it as Cookie Monster? A little bit, yeah. Like Cookie Monster meets, I don't know, Time Bandits, something <laughs> okay. like that. <laughs> okay. Kind of, but I, you yeah. Know, for some reason, but I had a, you gave me a none really... of that. You gave me none of that music, though. So I'm gonna I'm gonna play some more Lord Tang. We're gonna get to the Lord Tang story, right? This is Light yeah. Beam Walker. <laughs>
Als ob mir ein Engel an die Seele pisst. Ich drehte mich wie im Kreisel um mich selbst. Auf einmal warf sich ein Mädchen vor mir auf den Rücken, wie der Wetz vom Elch und rief. Es ist soweit. Wir haben es gepackt, altes Haus. Ich sehe was, was du nicht siehst und das holt dir die Schalter raus. 
Tür stehe, der mich um den Kopf überragte, versperrte mir den Weg, lachte laut und sagte, wenn du die Party-Crew siehst, du mir hier ist ihr Hauptquartier, doch heute kommt da kein anderer mehr rein außer dir. Das wird der derbste Abend deines Lebens, du hast das große losgezogen.
Watt for Pedro show. That chunk of music started off with Lord Tang. With Light Beam Walker. Not Jim Beam Drinker, but Light Beam Walker. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? If it's brown, it's going down. You know. <laughs> Neural out, Outage after that with Stutter Glove. A glazed Disco Ball from Sophie Dupale. The other side from DK, not Dead Kennys, people. This is a synthesizer guy from overseas. And then finally, Lord Tang with Saints Assembly. So let's let's get into the Lord Tang thing. Okay. Bring it. Well, I had stopped doing this Borful Tang character. Uh, I just got kind of... Hello? Yeah, I'm listening. Oh, my phone's buzzing. Um, tell them to wait. Was, tell them you're on the Watt from Pedro show. And you no, got to fucking get this out. This Lord Tang. No, that's right. It just threw me off because my headphones moving. Um, <laughs> I uh, I had stopped doing Borful Tanks. I just kind of got burned. I've been doing that for a bunch of years. I got kind of burned out on it. And uh, it was just ended up on a really kind of bleak. I mean, I was kind of probably depressed at the time for any number of reasons. But... Um, I just wanted to do something with more kind of color to it, more light, more in my head, you know, it was going to be pop music. It didn't turn out like that at all, but you know, but something that had just more music to it um, and try and incorporate that. Like I was saying with the more abstract stuff I've been doing. And then um, I was trying to figure out like what to do for performance and um I had done stuff with other bands in the past. Um, I had this band or work. We had a band called Modular Set. Uh, there was this improv group and we were kind of like a can type. That was what we we're modeling ourselves after. Um, and we'd done a lot of stuff with projections and um, as part of that. And I just, I was really into that idea of incorporating projections somehow. And so I wanted to be all in white and like a white suit so I could kind of be part of the painting, like instead of just being lost in the vid, like kind of make it not interactive, but make it an active component of the theater. Like you were, uh, just, you personally were part of the screen? Yeah, like I might ultimately I wanted it to be I, I just didn't have the tech for it. But the idea initially was you would only see like color where I was and where I was like the color would shift because I'd be moving through the projection in this right. all white. So it didn't, I just didn't know enough about physics to know that that's not how projections work. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like if you need to get that kind of density of material sure, sure. is just incredibly expensive and whatever. So I just kind of <laughs> did the best that I could, but I initially, I didn't really know what kind of, suit to come up with i didn't know what to project but um i ran into a friend of mine kelly uh kelly porter who does all the art for the records and that i project on myself and it was just a real serendipity like we've been neighbors years before when i lived in san leandro and just been buds and i just hadn't seen him in a long time but i happened to be at this show at the berkeley art museum the same time he was I was like, hey, man, you know, what's going on? What you been doing? And he had this booklet of his art. And I immediately was like, that's it. That's that's the, that's exactly it. And uh, and so honestly, his art has been a huge part of 
the overall thing, both in, in its inspiration and just in how much it kind of levitates the show. Oh, you mean when you're coming up with a, uh, material, you you look at his stuff and you get ideas, you get inspired. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, I have his art on my walls. I've yeah. got a bunch of his stuff, and it's in my studio. And um, I've consciously done that and unconsciously. You know, it's so it's, like the um, arts come first, then the music, or the music. Then hey, that no, art goes with it. Uh, the music almost always comes first, oh, but okay. I, I a lot of the ideas I get away from the studio you know to be in the i'm walking down the street or in the shower or wherever but um at least most like if i you know you know i'm just trying to figure out how how the collab works oh yeah it's not it's really more that um at the end like if he's doing like art for the record more often than not i'll give him the music at the end of the process okay and, he'll, and he'll that will inform with, his art yeah okay, okay yeah but the in terms of like the show at least the way it is now he's he just gave me a ton of art like maybe 30 40 of his paintings and i put him into a slideshow and then project those onto me so it's like it's a static thing but the way it it just the intricacy that he has and the way he deploys it just really fits stylistically what I'm doing and the kind of colors I'm using. And, um, yeah, it's got its own dynamic. Really interesting. I'd love to see you guys one day. I'm going to see a gig of yours, Don. We're at the end of the second hour, July 17th. Nope. July 14th, 2021. Just want to special guest, Dominic Cramp. We'll type our three. July 14, 2021, it's the third hour of the Lot for Pedro Show.
too many lines that connect us. We're running in circles around the trees, tiptoed. Silent, but hardened in battle. You're too far out on a limb. Another epic card trick fail. Planets in conjunction, souls aligned.
for Pedro Show. Third hour started off with my dub uncle, Lord Tang. Allure, something live from I Took Your Name Out of Holland. Every one of you is replaceable. This Sam Locke Ward featuring Kylie Budin of Iowa City. And finally, Lord Tang, Flay's Gate. And a gate, I guess, the way you walk? Yeah. Okay. That's that's from um, a book called Gormenghast. Have you ever heard of that? No. Tell me about it. It's, it's, uh, it's a really, it's by a, a writer called Mervyn Peak. And uh, it's a trilogy of books that, um, that was also, has been like a huge influence on a lot of stuff. I've like it's Tang, the other project I did. Yeah, it's literature. No, I use it a lot too. And then you were also saying that was like like your co focus in school. Yeah, it's I uh, I've always been a big reader, and um, and I, I try it. you know I sprinkle stuff around in my titles, hoping that someone will get it one day. But <laughs> okay, no, but I also like the way you can be inspired, and it's you know a level of abstraction where if you hear somebody else's music, you're kind of li- ripping off their licks and shit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that I feel a little better about that on myself. I'd rather be inspired by you know reading a Jim Joyce book than wow, there's James Jameson baseline again. I'm gonna take slip that in there. Thank you. <laughs> we all yeah. owe that man. So titles. Yeah. Like you know, you got your buddy's art involved. Are titles ever first? or Are they last? Always last. Yeah, almost everyone I talk to. I ask them that because Watts exactly opposite. I have to start with the title. Oh, really? Is <laughs> oh, that shit. is that because you're using lyrics or even with the instrumentals? Not, not, it, it might have lyrics. It might be instrumental, but the title gives me a focus. Okay. Maybe because I do most of the composition on a bass. And so yeah. I'm just trying to like anchor, have something where everything will be. You know, aid uh, aid and abet to help bring the tune to be, and so, yeah, yeah, that's why I do. Well, I I guess it's sort of not similar, but I will I'll come up with a name that fits. Like if I if I have a thing, I'm like, okay, this seems like it might be a thing. I'll just come up with an idea to like whatever literally comes into my head, and I'll just call it that. Until the very last second, and then I'll switch it to something else. <laughs> and that kind of, but the but the thing that I call it, the temp name, yeah. generally does have something to do with, like, I'll call it Frazzles or Skinny Tree or I don't know, whatever. But something that does have some sort of connection to the actual idea. Or, you know, you know the Ger- Germs album GI, right? There's that, the other hmm. newest one, right? Well, there is a song called that. And that's why it's called that, because they had two new ones. And it wasn't that new one, it was the (laughs) other new one. Yeah, whatever words. (laughs) So, you know, sometimes those working titles are very, uh, yeah, they got uh, a ground in in some kind of reality. Um, Yeah. You're recording. Is it mainly in your pad? Yeah. So you're, you're kind of self-contained. Okay. Totally self-contained. Yeah. I mean, I always get stuff mastered. I did master the, well, I mastered the very first version that was released. And then um, 
through a series of circumstances, this guy in Germany wanted to release it, like re-release it, and then he put it on vinyl, and we got it mastered, like out of house. Someone else mastered it, and after that, I've had everything mastered, uh, and I just I don't master my own stuff anymore. It's a nightmare. Um, yeah, I think you get some perspective when you bring it. Uh, uh, the cat's got to be good and no dynamics. Uh, that yeah, one thing I don't just, like about these days is this brick wall limit, and it's a little, it's suffocating. Oh yeah, actually, this um, I just finished another Lord. Well, there's a Lord Tang EP that I sent you that had clip clop on it. Was one of them. Okay, and that's coming out through this Belgian label, Mia Kusma. We don't have a date yet, but then I just finished another one. Uh, just stuff I've been working on for the last year, and uh, I had that one mastered. And he mastered it really low, and, and it, not really low, but lower than I expected. But he had a good point when I asked him. He just said, "Well, it's it reflects the nature of the music." And I was like, "Yeah, that's a really good way to look at." Like, and that, I, I think that's a good mastering engineer because they got to have that kind of sensitivity. Every song's not yeah. for K rock. I mean, shit. Exactly. You know what I mean? And when you actually look at the waveforms of various bits and pieces of music it's all over the place you know, you know that, well, really... i know yeah. dom when i put together the show right i'm using a wave editor so i see how some of this oh, shit, yes. some know, of it yeah. is like just b bricks yeah yeah <laughs> it's literally. fucked up and it could yeah. be like a dude on acoustic guitar it's just terrible yeah. <laughs> it's like what the fuck g so yeah it's it can really i ask you about recording uh, sure okay is it with pewters or do you still uh, use tape sometimes? No, I only used I've used tape, but more as a device just to like mangle a sound or yeah. make it like dirtier. But almost always I'm recording uh, digitally. And it's the flexibility the of editing. Yeah, and the, yeah, the immediacy of it. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's definitely because um, you, you talk the way about the I graphic. Work, you talk about the graphic dimension. I mean. A lot yeah, of this computer I, stuff is, is kind of like that yeah. as you're making it. <laughs> yeah, and it's, I mean, you've got to have a bit of discipline because, you know, it's theoretically endless. But <laughs> what I what I do a lot is like, you know, uh, I guess you call it mulch or something where I'm like re-editing re and reclassifying and redoing um, the sounds. Uh, to get to the finished piece, you know, so it may have gone through like, I don't know, however many transformations before it's at like the finish. The I, finish think that, I think that's valid though, you know? Oh yeah. Right. That's they do, the they do a, well, they do x-ray on Leonardo painting. They see three or four paintings underneath that motherfucker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and that's like where dub has been a really huge influence yeah, for me. Absolute. Is, absolutely. Is that process, you know? And I also haven't, you know, bass has always been important to me, and again goes back to I think Jimmy Smith and like that bass organ tone. Foot, I foot, just, foot pedals, not even left hand. Yeah, and that's yeah. a really deep tone, you know, oh, that yeah. organ oh, tone. Yeah. So I've I always had like try to put bass in there where I can. Um, but yeah, uh, but a lot of that, you know, initially the Lord Tank stuff was self-released because um, I had this label I started with my buddy Jared. And we've done stuff together. We were in that project with Bill, the talking book. And, um, you know, one of the things I came up against with labels is realizing that, like, I had to kind of generate my own steam until a label might get interested because it, 
it doesn't really fit into kind of a, a box for a label. You know what I mean? If you look at a label as a business, I just started to realize that like, I wasn't necessarily a good investment. <laughs> I mean, in terms of like, if you're looking at it from that perspective, you know what I mean? Sure, um, sure. So, but you know, it's, it's all in, you know, speaking of dub, you, you gave me a yeah. tune, my dub uncle. Yeah.
shining. is, you see, whether we like it or not, fog. It moves.
see whether we like it or not. Fog. music for this edition. Lord Tang, Sparkle Toast. Then we had a group Crater Method with Let's Dance. It's like jamming on David Bowie. Mm. A distorted cover of Brother Phil up in the mountains. Having a good, mm. a good time. Then Jorge Bachman with part two of two, Dark Bellow. We didn't have enough time. He gave me a buttload of stuff and I, I had just had to fit it in. This last piece, and I had to go over two parts. And then finally, Fog from Lord Tang. So uh, where can people find you on the on the internet, Tom? Um, I have, a, like, the label I was talking about is gigantesound.com. Okay, um, so let's spell it for people. Gigante, it's like a G-I-G-A-N-T-E, like Spanish for right, gigantic. For big. Gigante right. or big. Gigante uh, Sound, like sound. Yeah, uh, dot com. Okay, and, uh, and your next then, plan, your next plan is to get this uh, Lord Tang EP out, right? Yeah, there's two EPs coming out, and then through this label, Hagante Sound, uh, we have a bunch of. We're kind of reviving it. We've been dormant for a long time, releasing stuff on other labels, and okay. um, we've got some stuff we've been sitting on that we're going to be putting out in the next few months. But well, there will I, be two Lord Tang EPs coming up. And, and stuff that, what about that that other Tang guy? Is he ever going to make a reappearance? Oh, I'm glad you brought that up, unscripted. That's funny. But I actually have <laughs> something I'm going to be putting out as in amongst these releases for Borful Tang. That Borful I don't Tang, know why. I've name, been Borful sitting Tang. on it for like five years. It's mastered. It's done and everything. I just, well, I Don, think Don, I, can I put this out there? When you get yeah. it together, can you come back on the show and we can play it and talk about it? Sure, man. I'd love to. Okay, okay. That'd be so bitching. Because I only know about it from description. It was the Lord Tang show, this one. So you bring in some other, uh, your next appearance, you bring in some other dimensions. Okay, man. I'd love beautiful, to do that. Beautiful. Thank you. Thanks so much for being on the show. People, July 14, 2021 edition of Wapito. Should keep your powder dry.